uh, curious, how many of you moms out there can relate to some of that? Just a few of you. Yeah, you know, uh, I honestly think it's a miracle that I wasn't murdered by my mother. Um, I, I mean, for real, like there were things that I did over my childhood that, oh my gosh, like the worst thing I think I ever did. You guys want to know this story? This is pretty good. I, I need to give some of you kids some ideas too. But you remember how like there used to be this little hose on the sink and if, and you, if you, you know, clicked it, it could spray water. I thought it'd be a great, day, a great idea one time to put a rubber band around that. So I put a rubber band around it and had it all set up and, and then just, you know, kind of went about my day and it was like really quiet in my house and nothing happened because no one used the sink. And then, you know, as the day went by, I started to do what sons do and I got in trouble from my mom and my mom sent me to my room. And then like five minutes later, as I'm in my room already in trouble, I hear, Lucas Garrity! And I ran up there, and my mom's just totally wet, and she didn't think it was funny. And I, 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 I was like, what are you talking about? It's the funniest thing ever. And so I got grounded forever. And, um, you know, but my mom, seriously, I know many of you have met her, but my mom is one of, I mean, she really is just one of the best moms of all time. Um, I mean, early on, so my dad's Japanese. My mom learned how to cook Japanese food when they first got married. So my grandma, you know, taught her how to do all that. And just most of my life, what I've seen from my mom is that she just extends hospitality over and over again. Um, in fact, you know, when Don and I first got into ministry, one of the ways that we kind of discerned that God was calling us into ministry is that we would start these small groups and we were newly married. We lived in a, like a two-bedroom townhouse. We didn't have a lot of room. And so my parents would always offer to host our small groups. And so we would, you know, my parents had this huge house, and we'd go there. And over the course of the next couple of weeks, we would grow these small groups from like 12 people to like 75 people. And we like to think is because we were so winsome and amazing but in reality, my parents' house was so hospitable and the food was so good that that's why people started showing up. So I really um, think it's amazing how, you know, we've been spending time this month talking about the way that food can be used for the glory of God and can be a part of God's mission. And, but for some of us, we got to see that firsthand because of the way that our mothers or our grandmothers used food to be able to accomplish building community. Now, I know that not everybody has that same experience, just as Doug has hinted at and we've kind of prayed about. And so we're going to have an opportunity at the end of the service to pray about that. Um, but I just want to spend a little time, um, you know, looking at the Gospel of Luke. We've been, for the past few weeks, we've been in this sermon series called A Meal with Jesus. And what we've been doing is we've been looking at how Jesus uses meals as a way to help people to discover grace or to build community or to um, you know, instill hope in them or to accomplish the purpose of his mission, as we've said several times. In fact, Jesus spreads salvation and gives people hope in their promises as he celebrates meal and meals. And you know, while sometimes it can be a bit exhausting trying to figure out what meals to make, I mean, that's kind of the constant thing in our household. It's like, oh, I mean, I feel like Don and I generally around 6 feet 15 are like, what should we make tonight? You know, and it's like, I don't know, you know, and then we find out our kids have already door dashed. <laughs> so it can be really exhausting to figure out what meals to make. I also think that we'd all probably agree that meals are one of the easiest and most effective ways to affirm people because meals 
are a great way to help create a place where people can be loved and valued. We just see that happen over and over again in the Gospels too here. It's like as we sit around the table and as Jesus sits around the table with people as they're enjoying food and drinks together, um, love is extended and, and we can help people feel welcomed and loved around the table. So two weeks ago, we started this sermon series and we were reminded of Jesus' words in Luke 7.34 and that's kind of the inspiration for what we're talking about. But Jesus said this, he said, the son of man, and he was acknowledging what people in society were saying, he says, the son of man feasts and drinks, and you say he's a glutton and a drunkard and a friend of tax collectors and other sinners. So Jesus in this text is acknowledging that he spends a lot of time eating and drinking with a certain particular group of people, and then he says, this is how the world interprets my time spent with these people. They assume that I'm a drunkard, they assume that I'm a party animal, and they assume that I'm, I'm spending all this time with these people who are outside. The Pharisees and those who were confused by who Jesus spent his time with, they accused Jesus of these things, and that's kind of their way of dis, dismissing his, his message and his ministry. So, I think for us to, to wrestle with this passage of scripture a bit, I think we need to ask this question. How does the author of the Gospel of Luke defend Jesus against this accusation that Jesus is a friend to sinners and he's spending all of his time with people on the outskirts and margins? That's the question. How is Luke going to say, well, let me tell you that that accusation needs to be be?" Um, addressed. Let me tell you how we need to actually understand who Jesus is. That's what I want to do is I want to read Luke chapter 7, the, the, the following passage, and then wrestle with that question. But this is what Jesus uh, is, is reported as doing. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to have dinner with him. This is from Luke chapter 7, starting in verse 36. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to have dinner with him. So Jesus went to his home and sat down to eat. When a certain immoral woman from the city heard he was eating there, she brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. Then she knelt behind him at his feet, weeping. Her tears fell on his feet, and she wiped them off with her hair. Then she kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited Jesus saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet... He would know what kind of woman is touching him. She's a sinner. Then Jesus answered his thoughts. Simon, he said to the Pharisee, I have something to say to you. Go ahead, teacher, Simon replied. Then Jesus told him this story. A man loaned money to two people, 500 pieces of silver to one and 50 pieces to the other. But neither of them could repay him, so he kindly forgave them both, canceling their debts. Who do you suppose loved him more after that? Simon answered, I suppose the one for whom he canceled the larger debt. That's right, Jesus said. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, look at this woman kneeling here. When I entered your home, you didn't offer me water to wash the dust from my feet, but she has washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't greet me with a kiss, but from the time I first came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. 
You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head, but she has anointed my feet with rare perfume. I tell you her sins, and they are many, have been forgiven. So she has shown me much love. But a person who is forgiven little shows only little love. Then Jesus said to the woman, your sins are forgiven. The men at the table said among themselves, who is this man this, that he goes around forgiving sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. So how does Luke, the author of this gospel, defend Jesus against the accusation that Jesus is spending all of his time with sinners and with tax collectors and prostitutes? How does he defend Jesus? He doesn't. He does not do that. Instead, the biblical author shows that it's absolutely true. Jesus is a friend to sinners, and it's the beautiful part of the gospel. It's actually all over the place in the gospel, Luke, too. We've kind of seen this, that Jesus is friends with people who are on the outskirts all the time. He's friends with tax collectors, prostitutes. He's friends with the people who, who are marginalized in society. He's constantly working to bring them into his kingdom, he welcomes them consistently. And so before we spend a few minutes, I think, digging a bit deeper into Luke 7, what I'd like to do is, is pray for God to bless this time of engaging with the scripture and help us to see how we can apply it in each one of our lives. So let's pray together. Um, Father, we do ask for your spirit to, to do work right now. I have a, a sense, Lord, that you, you are here with us right now. Your, your spirit is in this room and that you have a plan and a purpose today. And so we want to fully acknowledge that your plans and your ways are more important to us than our plans and our ways. And so we do pray for you, Holy Spirit, to come, to do work, to draw us near to you, that you would heal hearts that need to be healed, you would convict hearts that need to be convicted, that you would provoke us to see how we are not only extended this grace that we keep on coming in contact with, but we are invited to extend that grace to the world around us. And so Holy Spirit, have your way. Have your way this morning. We pray this in your name. Amen. I mean, I, I don't think that there's much that we can celebrate more than this reality that Jesus welcomes sinners. Like, I, I just don't, I don't know what it is about this passage this week, but I have honestly been an emotional wreck coming in contact with this truth over and over again. Because I'm painfully aware of the fact that, that I am a sinner and I have, like, a lot of things I gotta work on. And I don't know if you ever feel that way, but it's like, man, some days it's like we don't deserve anything that we have, and yet God just keeps on giving us grace after grace after grace. And so it's been really um, overwhelming to, to reflect on this passage a bit because I just keep seeing myself in the story as one who really doesn't deserve grace, and yet God just keeps on giving grace again and again. So Imagine with me this morning, if you were at that dinner, let's just say you were with Jesus in this situation where this promiscuous woman of the city enters into the house and begins kissing him. I mean, just imagine if you're there. If we saw this story played out, I think we'd have been very uncomfortable. 
We would have been very uncomfortable because the type of woman um, and this public behavior was just not acceptable in Jesus' culture. For this was the type of activity that was reserved for the bedroom. And just to put it into context, in the ancient world in the first century in, in ancient Israel, for a woman to let her hair down was equivalent to taking off her shirt. And so when we read this story, we might even skim how scandalous this passage is. But what's happening here is absolutely scandalous. So how are we supposed to react? How are we supposed to react when, when we see this woman treating Jesus this way? Do we stop and celebrate God's grace or do we view this as a scandal? I, I have to believe that most of us would view this as a scandal. I just, I think that's the whole point. It's obvious in this passage that everyone in the room who is, who is enjoying dinner, who is spending time with this man who's got a, well, uh, a well-known ministry going on, they probably froze in this moment as they're watching this happen. They probably felt embarrassed for him. And I'm sure that some of the Pharisees probably even wondered if Jesus was one of her customers. That's what's happening in this text. And so what Jesus does here is really interesting. It's really interesting. He could have corrected her and told her not to touch him. I mean, there's other parts in the Gospels where Jesus basically does that. But here, he he doesn't do that. Instead, Jesus understood what this woman was doing. She wasn't trying to initiate some sort of romantic relationship with him or to initiate some sort of a business transaction. What she's doing here is she's weeping at his feet. She was weeping at his feet because she had obviously come to understand who Jesus is and why Jesus had come in the first place. And so in a very powerful and transformative way, this woman had experienced grace and she had come to know that Jesus loved her And what's really remarkable about this is, and this is something I think we need to take note of, by the way, is that I think Jesus demonstrates for us a couple things that are really fascinating. I mean, if you're looking at this text, you'll see that Jesus is not worried about his reputation when engaging with this woman. Like, he's not worried that everybody there is making this assumption about, about this relationship that he has. More pointedly, Jesus is not afraid of her reputation at all, which is why I think it's silly that many of us feel like Jesus is afraid of our reputations. You know, I I just want to tell you, when I invite people to church, like, I'm like, hey, you know, like most of the time people ask me what I do and then I'll tell them that I I pastor and they're like, really? (laughs) And I'm like, yeah, I know. And it's like after we get over that initial initial shock, I'll say, yeah, you should come and, and join us sometime. At almost, almost, like not quite 100% of the time, but like 90% of the time, people are like, oh, I could never enter into your church. If I came into your church, the building would implode. And as I've said before, I'm always like, you just do not know the people in our church. <laughs> like, like, it's, we are, we have a lot of people from all over the map. And I mean that in a good way, by the way. Like, to me, when we say, come as we, come as you are, do we mean that? Well, I do. I don't know about you, but I do mean as come as you are. And, and I think the same thing is, is, that, is that Jesus encouraged the same approach. But what's interesting to me is that people have this assumption 
that if they are sinners or if they are, you know, um, you know, they have history or they have a past, that somehow that's going to prevent them from being able to be a part of the church. But here's the thing I've observed over the years in talking to people. People don't feel that way about Jesus. They generally feel that way about the church, which is really interesting to me. Because what they see time and time again in the Gospels is Jesus welcoming sinners because he loves them. And so here we have this, this perfect um, example of that. Is rather than people needing to be cleaned up, per, perhaps, what God is doing is he's, he's saying, hey, listen to this woman in particular. I welcome you. I love you. I want to extend grace to you. And so the very point that Jesus is making here in this text is that no matter what your background is, no matter what your sins are, Jesus welcomes you and he wants to heal you and redeem you and he wants to restore you. I got to see this firsthand um, the first time I ever went to the country of Kenya in Eastern Africa. We, we were driving on these little buses out to the middle of nowhere um, in these villages and what would happen is our, our team that we were working with would, would have a bunch of buses and would build this big stage in this, in this village and would do all this music that would attract like hundreds and hundreds and then thousands and thousands of people. And so the first time we did this, there's like 5,000 people from all these surrounding villages that come. And so for four days straight, every day, it was music get up and share the gospel, the good news of who Jesus is, and invite people to come into his kingdom. And on the third day, um, what would happen on these trips is, is you would just get randomly told you were going to preach to 5,000 people if you were on this team. And my turn apparently came up, like, Luke, get up there. And so I told the story of Jesus having a woman who was caught in adultery come and be brought to him where Jesus like basically forgives her and tells the Pharisees that if they have, sto- uh, if they have sins, they can stone her, but they don't have any, uh, they don't, I'm sorry, if they don't have sin, right? <laughs> I'm totally messing up the story. Point being is that they are unable to condemn her. And, and I told that story and this woman came forward and responded at the end and she decided to become a follower of Jesus. And the next day we were talking to her and she was a prostitute who had been walking by and had heard the gospel for the first time and made the decision to follow Jesus. And then a year later when I went back, what I saw is that woman had been welcomed into the church community, had been taught a trade and was making jewelry and things like that so she could actually provide for herself and her kids and was a part of the church community. And that is what Jesus, I think here, is kind of nudging us toward is this life where we're willing to engage with people and to welcome them regardless of what their past or background is like. Now, as the Pharisee Simon was watching this entire thing happening, he definitely thought it was a scandal. I mean, like right before um, his eyes, he sees Jesus engaging this woman who is a, a woman of the city. And this is where he thinks to himself. He doesn't say this out loud, but he thinks to himself, man, if Jesus was a prophet, if he truly was a prophet and was the, the son of God as he claims to be, he would know that this woman is no good and he would not let her touch him. But Jesus was a prophet, wasn't he? And he was, he was totally different. He did know that she was a sinner, and he still allows her to worship him because Jesus is not embarrassed by sinners. He is not embarrassed by sinners. Instead, Jesus was the friend of traitors and drunks and prostitutes and drug addicts and 
people who were mentally unstable or emotionally broken or those who had messy lives and who were caught up in the chaos and the cycles of life. And so what this really does for us, I think, if we really think about the reality of that truth, this idea that Jesus was willing to be friends with these people, and just so we can maybe press that home a little bit, think about that. Jesus was a friend to sinners. The Son of God, God himself, was friends with sinners. This, I think, teaches us three things. Number one, it teaches us that the grace of God turns out to be uncomfortable and embarrassing, It can be uncomfortable and embarrassing at times. Number two, it teaches us that Jesus is socially disruptive. At times, his radical grace disrupts social situations. And then number three, as we're thinking about these truths, number three, Jesus is happy to connect his identity to this immoral woman just as he is happy to connect his identity to yours and mine. And this, folks, is the gospel. This is the good news that we proclaim, that we hope that the world comes to know. It's the truth that God is far more loving and far more welcoming and far more forgiving than we could ever imagine. And that is the grace that has just been moving me all week. It's like I I just think about that over and over again. And I think that in the church, we celebrate this truth. Are you with me? Like, when we say that Jesus is a friend of sinners, we, if, you, if you know who you are, you know that that's good news for you, amen? Like, I feel like I could go around this room and I could point out some of your sins so easily. Like, we could make lists of things that we do, and we, just being honest, part of what we love about Jesus is the fact that Jesus is a friend of sinners, amen? Like, we celebrate this truth every single week, but there's something in this story that I feel like Church people are not so great at celebrating. You know, the first half of this passage in Luke 7 is definitely something that we celebrate. Jesus welcomes sinners. But the second half of the passage focuses on something that we don't always celebrate. And this is where bad religion, I think, enters in. Or it's where Pharisees have a tendency to live. And it's the idea of this, that sinners welcome Jesus. Think about that. The second part of the story turns hospitality upside down. Now, normally in the ancient world, in the ancient world, what should have happened in this passage is Simon should have done a bunch of things to be hospitable to Jesus, his dinner guest. In fact, a person hosting a dinner party would offer you water when you walked in for your feet because uh, in the ancient world, people wore sandals or they didn't have anything on their feet. And so it was customary to offer water because it was a friendly way to welcome people and give them an opportunity to freshen up. Another thing is that the host would greet you with a kiss, but when Simon invited Jesus to dinner, he didn't do any of those things. Simon was the host without actually being the host. Instead, the woman is the host, but she isn't even a guest at the party. She wasn't even invited. And so look how Jesus contrasts Simon with the woman. Now, I just want to tell you really quickly, I've heard people say things before about people in our church community like, Luke, you need to tell those people they need to stop smoking cigarettes. You know, gee, you know, gee, Luke, you need to go and talk to those people and tell them to dress differently. And I just, I'm just going to start pointing out Luke chapter 7 every time. Okay, so look at how Jesus contrasts Simon with the woman. 
First of all, he says, you, Simon, gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. He says, you, Simon, gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. He says, you, Simon, did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. So what's the difference between these two? Simon and the woman of the city, what's the difference between these two people is that one has the appearance of having it all together. I mean, Simon is a Pharisee. He dresses the right way. He says the right things. He believes the right things. He is ingrained in society in a way that puts him at the top. He's, he's doing it all. And he, he has a respectable and well-established way of life in the community. But the other, the one that Jesus is celebrating is despised. She sells her body for money, but Jesus sees things completely differently. And we don't know exactly how it happened. I mean, that's the part of the story that we we don't know about. But somehow, at some point in time, this woman who was a prostitute, this woman, she comes to a place where she loves Jesus enough to look at how Simon was hosting him, and she knows that she could do better because she knows that Simon is not hosting her in a way that is fit for the king. And so this is what I think we need to kind of wrestle with here is that when sinners become aware of how much needed grace they have, they welcome Jesus. And I want to be really clear here. Like when we say when sinners, blah, 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 I think we need to include ourselves in that, that phrase. Like that's what I keep talking about is how we read the Bible with a particular set of lenses where I'm just convinced that Americans especially, we always read the Bible as if we are the hero of the story. And we miss out on what Jesus is wanting us to wrestle with. Are we the Pharisees? Are we the people that snub our noses at people because they look differently than us or they talk differently than us or they they dress differently than us or maybe they have struggles in, in, in messiness that is out for everybody to see? and not behind closed doors. That's really what we have to wrestle with here. And so our appreciation for the gospel, the good news, it flows from our understanding of how much we're in need of it. And that's what I think is so beautiful about this story is that Simon, who is a self-righteous Pharisee who has it all together, he's just as in need of God's grace as the woman who comes to Jesus. He just doesn't think it. Let's stand up together. So, we're going to have a, a time for some prayer for a moment here, but um, really the whole point of today's message was to talk about how in this particular passage, Jesus is using meals to build community. That's, I hope we all can see that. What Jesus is doing is he's, ha- he's in a small community with Simon and these other Pharisees, And then in this place where they're breaking bread and enjoying drinks, Jesus uses that space and that moment to welcome this other person who's on the outside in. And she comes and she experiences grace. And and that's what he's doing there is he's building community. And the one, I mean, one of the many things that I love about Jesus is he's constantly welcoming people in. He's constantly doing that. He sees people who are broken and who have messy lives and who are 
on the outskirts and he's constantly saying, come, all you who are weary, all you who are thirsty, all you who are hungry, all of you who are hopeless, who have need for grace, come. And that's the constant invitation that we have as followers of Jesus or as people who are outside. Because we don't have to remain outside. We are invited to experience that. And so this morning, I, I really think that there's two ways we can apply this passage. There's two ways. Number one, I want to tell you that no matter what your past looks like, no matter how you're feeling, no matter, no matter what things you've done, it doesn't matter if you grew up in church or if you've been outside of church. None of those things matter. What matters is that you know that you are far more loved than you could ever imagine. And that God's grace is more powerful than you could ever imagine. And so the times of feeling like we're stuck or we're hopeless or we have no reason to, 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 to trust anybody in the world that we live in, we need to remember that there is one whom we can trust. There is one whom loves us so much so that he willingly came to this earth to die on the cross for us. And Jesus did that so we could have a relationship with God. That's how eager he was to, to know you. And so I know some of you may feel like, oh God, that could never be true about, about me. I've done too many things. You don't know what I've done, Luke. And I'm just telling you right now, none of those things can prevent you from having a relationship with Jesus. Amen? None of those things. So some of you need to lean into that. And then secondarily, some of you know these truths. You know God's grace is good. And so when people say God is good, you say all the time. And all the time, God is good. You know those things. You know all the churchy things. But are you living as a Pharisee? Are you living your life in a way that actually neglects these opportunities to extend grace to people who are on the outskirts. And so that's it. On one hand, we need to lean into the grace that is demonstrated by Jesus. And on the other hand, we need to invite other people to experience that grace in the same way. Because I'm here to tell you on behalf of many other people in this room that God is good. His grace is amazing and his mercy is new every single morning and his love is so powerful it can transform everything about who you are those are the two ways we applied this passage this morning